0: are real geniuses richard jacobs has made it his life's mission to find them for you he hunts down and interviews geniuses in every field sleep science cancer stem cells ketogenic diets and more here come the geniuses this is the finding genius podcast with richard jacobs
1: hello this is richard jacobs with the finding genius podcast i have uh, laura midlars she's a professor in the department of biology an associate dean of the College of Science at University of Texas at Arlington, and uh, she obtained a PhD in 2004 from University of California at uh, well, it says Santa. I don't know if it's Santa Cruz or Santa Barbara, but Santa Barbara University, Santa Barbara. Okay, ooh, beautiful place. Uh, conducted postdoctoral research at Cornell University, and she studied uh, coral diseases and coral immune responses there. Now uh, her own lab at UC Arlington. Uh, she trained ten graduate students and fifty undergraduate students, so she's very interested in coral reef conservation and women in science issues. So, Laura, thanks for coming.
2: Thank you very much for having me.
1: Yeah. Um, so, what uh, what got you interested in coral years ago when you first started looking at it?
2: Yeah. So, um, so I was one of those kids who always loved the ocean and marine life, and so I realized kind of early on that I wanted to uh, be a marine biologist. But of course, when you're a kid, you really don't know what kind of jobs that entails and what there is to study. Um, also at that time I was living in Canada. And so I really had no concept of all the diversity of marine life that was out there. And um I honestly, it's kind of funny now, wanted to study Arctic marine biology. Um, and so uh about 18, my parents decided to leave Canada for Florida. And so I followed suit and attended college in Florida and then never looked back to Arctic biology again because uh, coral reefs. I discovered tropical ecosystems and coral reefs. And so, you know, I started studying coral reefs as an undergraduate in college and um, did a master's uh, there at Florida Atlantic University. And that really kind of got me interested in, um, in that coral reef ecosystem.
1: Very cool. Okay, And where have you traveled to see reefs in person?
2: Right, so um, I travel mostly in the Caribbean because that's where um, I've sort of developed an expertise for studying uh, Caribbean corals. Um, we've done work in university at sorry, Puerto Rico at the University of Puerto Rico. We've done work in um, the U.S. Virgin Islands at the University of Virgin Islands there with collaborators there. Um, we also have a research trip to Roatán. And um we've been uh to various other islands in the Bahamas. Uh and also done a couple of, of things out in the Great Barrier Reef in Australia, but that's not sort of the main focus of um of my work. But so mainly we do work in the Caribbean and of course Florida.
1: Well, you've had you worked in some really, really tough environments. Yes.
2: You know? <laughs> that's
1: true. <laughs> do colleagues the colleagues ever like rib you about that and say Well, you have it so
2: tough, you know. Well, especially here in Texas, I live in North Texas now, and so um, yes, every summer we do escape to to go to do the research and and spend some time underwater. Um, Of course, this past summer we weren't able to do that, but um, that is something we all look forward to, and the students really enjoy um, going out to the uh, to the reef.
1: Oh yeah, yeah. So, what are so nowadays? What are you studying about the reefs in particular?
2: Oh right. So um, my work's been kind of focused on uh, coral diseases and coral immunity. So uh, we, when we look at coral diseases, there's a lot of attention focused on what is the pathogen causing the disease. And I come in on the other side. I want to know what is the host doing? What's the coral doing to fight this disease? And um, what are they? How successful are they at it? Um, so we've been doing a lot of work, kind of. Actually, a lot of my career at UT Arlington, um, and even in my postdoc, was looking at coral immunity and how are they um, fighting uh, off diseases.
1: What uh, what kind of diseases are prevalent? I, you know, I've heard of coral bleaching, but I don't know if that's a disease. Like, what are some of the right? Common that's diseases a great question.
2: It? Yeah, that's a great question. So, coral um, coral bleaching is not. Um, a, a pathogenic disease or an infectious disease, um, it definitely falls under the category of something very bad happening to coral when they lose their algal symbiont and they lose their main nutrition. But uh, what we talk about mainly are, are coral infectious diseases um, that are caused by pathogenic bacteria, fungus, and even some viruses. So similar to the ailments humans would have and, um, so we, we look at really their responses to um, bacteria and fungus. That's the main models I've looked at in my lab. Um, I haven't really looked at viruses so much yet, but um, I expect that to come soon.
1: So w- what do the diseases do? Like what's one or two of them and what happens to the coral?
2: Right. Yeah, that's a good, that's a, a good point. So when um, they get infected with, uh, usually a, we'll talk about a bacterial pathogen since that's um, really most common. Uh, the bacteria will cause the tissue to also kind of look like bleaching. It turns white and it dies. Um, in coral bleaching, where it loses the cor- the algal symbiont, the coral animal is still alive. But in uh, bleach, in sorry, infectious diseases, it will also turn white, but usually that tissue will die. The coral animal as well as the symbionts will die. And the white appearance is the skeleton. You know, the corals have this calcium carbonate skeleton underneath the colored tissue. So when you see white on a diseased coral, usually it's because you're looking right through it into the skeleton and there's no more tissue. Now, we have some other interesting diseases in um, non-reef building corals. These are called gorgonian corals or soft corals. And some of these responses are very colorful. And the, um, the coral will actually turn a bright purple, or black, or have this really kind of interesting color change. And then you know, there's something wrong with it. And there there's usually a fungal infection that's going on in some of those corals. And it's interesting, because some of them can be quite beautiful that the immune response is such a bright color that it actually, you know, looks quite beautiful, but it's, it's not. We know that the coral's, you know, going through some, uh, going through an infectious disease and having a hard time.
1: Yeah. When you see these corals have these diseases, um, do they, uh, you know, does the coral look spotty or patchy or is it confined to one part of like a a big monolithic
2: piece of coral
1: or is it everywhere? Like what's the patterns?
2: It depends on the disease. So we definitely have diseases that um, are, uh, most of the coral diseases are named after what they look like. So, We do have coral diseases named white pox, where is exactly what you said at first, a lot of little white dots kind of all over the coral colony. And those little dots are areas that the coral is dead. Um, In some cases, coral immunity is working and only those little dots of the coral will die. Um, And so that's good. The the other healthy corals kind of walling off the disease area and protecting the rest of the healthy tissue. Um, you definitely have corals called white band or white plague that will be just large monolithic kind of white swaths of area just kind of taking over the coral and they will um, eventually be all white. Um, you have corals uh, that have in, get infected by a microbial mass that actually has a black appearance and that coral is called black band. And there's a similar one called red band, where these are cyanobacteria mixed, and it looks like filaments kind of just on the coral. And that's like one large band that advances on the coral colony, and therefore, half of it ends up being white and dead, and it kind of moves across the colony, killing it. And then you have um, another disease I looked at for a lot of my career called yellow band disease, where you had sort of large rings of yellow tissue. So coral tissue is usually like a darker brown, um, darker sort of red, brown, green. And then um, these sort of yellow rings would show up and uh, all over the colony. And that disease was called yellow band.
1: What does the um, the color tell you about the pathogen? Yes. And if it's a certain color, does that change um, the photosynthetic ability of the, of the coral? Because now it would reflect and uh, mm-hmm. absorb maybe different wavelengths of light.
2: Yes, that's a, that's a great uh, point. The, um, the yellow band in specific was sort of like a chlorosis we found in the end. It was actually affecting the symbionts, the algal symbionts in the coral, and they were turning yellow um, or even clear. Uh, so they were losing their photosynthetic ability. And then the coral host was really suffering. And there was probably a bacteria attributed to it. So both the coral animal and the algal symbiont were being affected by that. And those areas, um, because they were pale yellow, they definitely were not photosynthesizing and not getting the proper nutrition to the coral. Now, when you do have an area of a coral that has that white skeleton, um, it's uh, it definitely can affect, well, there's no photosynthesis going on, but it can affect sort of the, um, the light that can transmit through it. So the, all of that darker tissue does help, um, protect the lower tissue layers from light. And when you just have this white skeleton, the light can, can go through, can go to it and affect the healthy tissue that's near it more. So all of that has definitely issues on, on distributing light and the effects of, um, of having that white
1: skeleton when light um, hits the coral and then and then affects the symbiont inside the algae like yeah. what's the, does it how does it always go through some coral matrix before the light reaches the uh, symbiont inside and is there anything there that's interesting you know it goes through like a what like an, a millimeter on average of of coral body oh. before it reaches the the symbiont or are there parts where the symbiont pokes out or no, the
2: symbionts, yeah, the algal symbionts need the light to photosynthesize. So they, they definitely do want the light, but there are, um, it is in, uh, several like tissue layers, um, in the coral. Uh, so the light is that definitely too much light is bad for symbionts and they can, um, get overstimulated, um, for sure. And then that causes coral health issues as well. Um, And so part of coral immunity that is really interesting is because that algal symbiont is inside the coral tissue. And so you kind of think about that the coral animal has this foreign body living in it that it really needs. And so that algae really does need to use the coral immune system to get in and to stay alive, right? Because what's the the one thing about our immune systems, even in humans, is we want to kill foreigners, we want to kill invaders um, into your body. You want to kill pathogens. You want to kill anything that comes in that's not um, that's not self. So it is really interesting, sort of, to think about coral immunity when the corals really do have to uh, tolerate another um, another organism inside of it, um, as well as other bacteria, right? So um, I think you've definitely had uh, discussions with other coral reef biologists that uh, study microbiomes and other bacteria on on coral, that, the good bacteria. So there's a lot going on with coral immunity that I think is really, really interesting and makes it very much more complex, I think, than we um, probably thought.
1: But the do you think the immunity is a combined immunity, you know, from the symbiont to bring some of it and then the coral itself? And do you think that they're, I mean, they must be probably signaling each other
2: and yeah. acting in
1: concert, right?
2: Yeah. You would, well, you would hope, right. I mean, the coral animal definitely has a different repertoire of immune responses that it's, uh, that it's able to do um, than, than the algae, which is more like a plant plant-like, but uh, we do think they act in concert and um, we, we are looking at that in our lab right now. We don't have a lot of data because uh, we're just kind of sifting through lots and lots of data sets, but um, we, we do think, so the algae, again, being a plant is really good at um, antioxidants and they're really good at getting rid of toxic um, uh, oxygen radicals. And so part of what we think some of the pathogens might do is elicit you know, a toxic uh, um, oxygen response. And so we think that the algae really could be very helpful in um, in helping to scavenge some of those using antioxidants, and that would help the coral a lot. And the other, um, you know, the other thing that's, that's probably important is that the a healthy algae is contributing a lot of resources, of uh, food, basically, to the coral. And, you know, the, the animal is going to need all the food it can get, it, all the energy it can get in order to mount a really effective immune response. So that's pretty costly um, to to mount that, especially for such a simple, you know, organism like a coral.
0: If you like this podcast, please click the link in the description to subscribe and review us on iTunes.
1: Okay, well, what about the fish and the other creatures that you know hang out around the coral? When it's sick, does that change locally? Um, if you yeah. have like a, you know, like a big piece of coral near the spotted areas or the bleached areas or the affected areas, do the fish do different things? Or they, do they just leave that area? Like what happens?
2: Right. So the uh, healthy reef. Uh, Healthy coral make a healthy reef, and that supports all the animals we think about when we go scuba diving, right? Or when we watch in these underwater videos. Um, When there's a dead piece of coral or a dead, entire dead coral reef, um, there's a lot of algae that overgrows it. Um, It's definitely not as pleasing to look at um, and to scuba dive on uh, for, for us. But then fish also aren't able to get sort of the resources they need from a dead coral reef, so they usually just kind of move on. Um, your question about being half dead and half alive, you know that's also really important. Some of the um algae does overgrow on a dead coral head and um and that can sometimes can prevent recovery because that algae is kind of producing lots of you know mucus itself and Um, it can really grow a lot faster than the coral. So sometimes it can kind of prevent the colony from recovering, the coral from recovering, which is unfortunate.
1: Well, have you looked when a coral is affected by an illness and then, you know, again, what happens? Like imagine a video that's focused on a piece of coral. The coral is fine Mm -hmm. if you were somehow, somehow able to watch it, you know, as it gets sick and then as it recovers and you looked around it you know what would you see the fish leaving and then coming back the algae growing and then stop growing and you know being sloughed off like what do you what do yeah. you see
2: um i think in a reef that maybe has a couple of dead corals you wouldn't see anything that dramatic um that's not exactly like my area so i think i might have to defer a little bit but i would say that the um i would say that if you had a reef and had you know, only some corals that were diseased and maybe dying um, that you wouldn't see that much of a, a dramatic change. It's only when you really have like a whole, all, most of those uh, corals are, are dying and then over, being overgrown by algae that you would see significant changes like that.
1: So, so have, you, have you sampled the coral or sampled the algae in yeah. various disease states or with various diseases to see how it's different, its gene expression yeah. and things like that?
2: Yes, we have. Exactly. So that is kind of um, what we do in the lab is um, we, we will look at um, several sort of different uh, types of sampling uh, strategies. Uh, we do like to get field um, diseased samples and then a healthy piece of that same kind of coral species. And then we compare them so we can kind of see what immune responses are being activated, either in proteins, in gene expression and then also what you had mentioned visually what does it look like when um when it's being infected Uh, we can also do histology and look at the cells and look at um, some of the um, immune cells Uh, and so another strategy we have is actually doing infections in tanks where we would um, experimentally spread disease from one coral to the next in a controlled environment and then we're able to really kind of see what is happening to that coral, and we're able to watch it, you know, all the time. <laughs> it's a little, it's it can be difficult doing uh, time series and things in, it, in uh, on the reef because you just don't have that resolution of being able to to watch it all the time. So it's nice to move some of these experiments to a lab setting um, so we can really get more resolution. And so with those type of experiments, we also sequence the genes and we um, isolate the protein to see what immune um, activities occurring. But what we have with some of those experiments is much better as we we know exactly when it got infected. We know how fast this lesion or white tissue or white sort of plague was spreading. Um, And so we can end up with a lot more uh, data and more exciting data that really links those molecular mechanisms to the whole coral health. So that's pretty exciting. Um, so have we have yeah we've done to look a
1: lot of at, uh, yeah, have you tried to look at the microbiome or the local microbial populations around healthy versus diseased
2: coral? Yeah, yeah, we have a lot of colleagues we work on with that. Um, but we also are looking at um, specifically one experiment where we did track the disease and watched it basically progress on multiple coral species and multiple fragments of those species. So we have lots and lots of samples and we did take the microbiome from those and um yeah we want to try to find out what the pathogen is right a lot of uh, the mystery of coral diseases and coral immunity is that we really don't know we know the coral's sick but we don't know what it's actually fighting so we have very little uh, information very few diseases where we actually have a causative agent or pathogen right so we, we really do need these type of controlled experiments where we're able to look exactly when that coral gets infected and then take the microbiome sample so we can see what is different. And I wish I could tell you an answer because it is very complicated. <laughs> um, and it looks like it, it is kind of difficult to just kind of pinpoint it to one bacteria. And it looks like now, you know, some of it is just um, changing of the bacteria composition, what we would call like a dysbiosis, you know, a, a shifting of those, of the community that maybe is, is leading to a more sort of pathogenic community. So that's one of some of the challenges with studying coral diseases is you really don't know, you can scuba dive and see lots of sick of coral, but really don't know what exactly is, is causing, the, the, um, causing the, those uh, diseases.
1: So what have you noticed about the corals immune response? What are some particulars that really interest you?
2: Yeah. So um, we've been studying a couple of pathways that really interest me. Um, it, some of the corals will use a very strong melanin response. And so we know melanin as giving color, you know, in our skin or in our, um, in our sunspots and in corals and insects, Um, the immune response uses melanin a lot. And they use it to basically wall off the pathogen so that they would prevent the pathogen from spreading into healthy coral tissue. So it acts really as a physical barrier. Um, I've been really interested in the melanin cascade and and profeno oxidase is one of the main proteins in it for um, nearly my entire career. And we've been kind of making some headway and looking at sort of the genetic regulation and genetic mechanisms behind it. And and, um, I have some really great students studying that aspect right now. Um, We've also found that um, the mitochondria might actually be a key here in some of our uh, coral diseases and coral immunity. Um, We all know that the mitochondria is uh, the powerhouse of the cell, right, and produces um, all of our ATP to, to have the functioning of the cell, the energy of the cell. But when the mitochondria is, um, when the mitochondria gets, uh, affected negatively. So when there's a, a, a infection, the mitochondria can end up, um, can end up, uh, dysfunctioning. And so the, because the mitochondria is so important to the cell, there's a lot of, um, of mechanisms to rescue the mitochondria. So we've been looking at a transcription factor that if it's turned on, it helps to rescue the mitochondria from getting damaged during a disease or during a stressor. And if we can um, turn that mechanism on and rescue the mitochondria, usually it also leads to increased immunity and better outcomes for the cell and for the whole organism. So we're kind of looking at that as maybe one of those sort of molecular switches that if you turn it on, it would really help contribute to um, to coral immunity. So we've kind of been looking at a lot of different corals to see if we can identify that mechanism and see if that's something that is um, important um, in the way different corals fight disease. Um, so those are a couple of things where we are interested in. The mucus um, is also very important because um, it's the first line of defense, you know it, the the corals need to prevent the first thing to to do is to prevent any pathogens from entering um, your uh, your cells. So the mucus is really important, and the mucus is what houses that microbiome that we were talking about earlier, and so the microbes in the mucus itself also are probably helping to keep um pathogenic or sort of bad quote unquote bad bacteria away and keep a good microbiome very much like our human gut studies and you know if you've you've been hearing about those but you know in, in the human gut there's like good bacteria and the mucus is very important to keeping all, right. all of that in check very similar
1: so in the, in the what the mucus is on the outer layer of the coral so if yeah. you touched it it would feel like uh
2: slimy like
1: icky slimy okay
2: yeah. Yes, exactly. That's exactly it. So it's not inside like the intestines, but it's out, it's right on there on the surface. So, um, so yeah, we've been, uh, we've been studying a lot of those mechanisms. Um, I think another thing that's been really surprising in coral immunity is the how complex it is. Um, you know, one thing we, we haven't discussed yet is that corals are really, really ancient animals and they don't have the same type of immune responses that, that mammals do or humans do. So they only rely on the innate immune response, whereas you know we have the innate and the adaptive or acquired immune response or immunity as well. So the innate immune response is what really, um, both in, in the humans and corals, stops the infection um, from trying to get into to the body or into the, the cells. And so you have a lot of inflammation. That's why we get fever. Um, and redness around, let's say, a scratch that's getting infected. Uh, Same thing for the coral, but they only have that innate immunity, which means they can really just produce um, antimicrobial compounds, cellular rearrangement. So they try to produce, like I said, that melanin. They have some kind of immune cells that they will kind of throw at the problem, as well as some classic inflammation that matches what we see in humans are also um, in the coral gene- genetic repertoire, but they miss that acquired immunity, so they can never get um, basically "quote unquote" immune from a disease, and they have to fight it. If if the same coral gets that disease over and over, they have to fight it as if they've never seen it. And so they you, they, you observe
1: that you observe that in the coral will be um, in contact they with disease. The
2: ca- yes, they can get it. They can get a disease. And then, um, they can sort of seem like they're arresting it and stopping that. And then they can get another disease. Yeah. It's actually pretty awful <laughs> to uh, because they're fighting yeah. it and you're like, okay, they've done it. And then they can get another disease. Yeah. Um, yeah.
1: Do do corals ever have cancer like growth that uh, is abnormal?
2: Um, yeah, there are some corals that will produce tumors. Um, I'm not, Sure, I think actually looking at some of those genetic mechanisms, um, they might've attributed some of them similar to, to like overgrowth of, of the of the cells. Um, genetically though, corals do have um, a lot of uh, the same um, sort of cancer type genes and things like that and, and uh, cell division uh, gone awry can happen. Um, but that's not, those don't tend to really sort of be the main um, the main uh, issues for for a broad uh, broad corals. I think um, there are some corals in Hawaii that get like, those tumors. Most of I think you- the coral diseases in the Caribbean are the, like, the bacterial or fungal or viral pathogens.
1: Hmm. Does, uh, does any of this disease correspond with uh, overall surface conditions? You know, have you been able yeah. to correlate it with weather? Or- temperature of the water or uh, an influx of nutrients or you know other yes. larger things <laughs> happening to the area
2: all of those things yes yeah. so climate change global climate change really is is um one thing that we've attributed to coral diseases um it's it's just that you know when the water heats up and you have bleaching uh, as we spoke about earlier and you have loss of the algal symbiont and you have less nutrition for that coral even if they recover they um, they tend to still be maybe immune suppressed, and so then they'll get disease after a bleaching event or after a hot water after um, you know the water's been elevated in temperature for a while, and that's been happening in the Caribbean um, almost you know every summer. So we really do think that a lot of this is taking sort of a continued stress um, on the corals, and then they they get disease. So yeah, I think it's it's very related, nutrients. Um, in water from, like, areas that are uh, populated uh, definitely can be actual, like, pathogens can come in from that. Um, there was a case in Florida Keys where the sewage um, wasn't being treated well enough, and there was pathogens coming from human gut. Serratia marquesins is um, a very common uh, bacteria that's in our, in our guts, and um, that one that one infected corals and caused coral diseases. Um, they have since cleaned up and, and been able to treat the sewage a lot better so that it doesn't happen. But, uh, yeah, so the, the conditions of the water can be can be telling as well.
1: Um, do corals tend to get diseases when the, when the water is warmer or in certain seasons, you know, just like people?
2: hmm yeah, for uh, for them it's it's a bit opposite I guess when the water's warmer all summer they can get diseases in the fall. Um when water is cooler, it doesn't usually um contribute to disease, although you can definitely have diseases that start uh, um, outbreaking uh that are not related to increased water temperature. Um so we definitely have had some winter diseases um happening, but uh, but mostly it is going to be, you know, in the summer when the water's warm. Yeah. Okay. We, um. Well, yeah. When
1: you look at the coral, can you tell where it started from? Like, a, you know, and how long does it take for a, a big coral to grow? And if it's like hundreds of years difference, can you tell where the coral first started and where the youngest parts are?
2: Yeah. So usually the youngest parts are on the edges. Um, you can kind of see in some of the branching corals, the growing edges are actually kind of a little paler because they're the, the skeletons growing and then the tissue is catching up in the symbionts and it was getting darker and darker as it grows. Um, most of the corals. Yeah. It's usually going to be like a leading edge. Um, that's, that's, the The most recent tissue, but don't forget the corals are like millions of years old, and so when you see these large huge mountainous colonies underwater that are made up of just all this calcium carbonate that's been deposited over these millions of years, and the most recent tissue is the one that's right on top and so um that kind of that can live a while on its own, but then um that will sort of de- uh, the, the latest tissue is sort of the, the most living tissue that's on it. And then that will continue to sort of butt off and grow. So yeah, you can tell what areas are newer. Um, we did see in sea fans, which are um, soft corals or gorgonian corals. And you can see that they grow out from the edges. So you see this big, beautiful fan and the new growth is the edges on the end. The middle, was actually the middle of the coral was actually more susceptible to disease we thought because that tissue was a bit older and maybe it didn't have the you know the immunity to fight off some of the diseases so that was kind of interesting um with a coral that that has that sort of spatial like you know fan like that you could actually see that happening yeah weird (laughs) yeah so
1: so so some of the corals you you scuba dive to like parts of the coral literally or could be a million years old?
2: Yeah, yeah. So to get to this yeah. large coral head, you have millions of years of growth. Um the living tissue is probably not millions of years, but the the skeleton underneath took millions of years to get that large. Yes. And oh. that's why it's so significant to have coral diseases that are killing these corals. And they can kill them pretty quick. So, you know, you lose all of that. Um, that million years investment in in that in that coral and the corals make up the reef so if you kind of lose that it's like i said the, the algae will take over and eventually those large mountainous structures that support all that life will just kind of get flatter and flatter and not be as interesting so.
1: when you have skeleton is the skeleton always dead or the skeleton is alive it's just it's just oh. part of the structure of the coral, like you know when you when you call a part of its skeleton, does that mean that it's dead or just that's just what you call the skeleton the coral body
2: yeah it can't it means that it's dead if you're seeing um right through the tissue into that calcium carbonate structure, which is the skeleton um yeah, it usually means that the coral's dead um okay. you know there yeah. <laughs> Uh, there are, you know, there are corals that have, you know, some parts of them will be will be dead, and and they that's fine, you know, they'll, they'll just kind of grow over if it's a, if it's healthy, um, but uh, if it's been killed quickly by a disease, um, that's how we can tell if it's been a disease. It usually will kill the tissue pretty quickly, and then we'll see just large parts of the skeleton are just showing through and are white um and then maybe you have some live tissue there and you can kind of see it was a disease so it's a little shocking okay. actually when you see it because it's really sad yeah.
1: so what um what do you hope to figure out in the next couple of years in your research
2: yeah um that's that's a great question i think we are really really interested um to understand what the Immune response. What the, what's the good, what's the proper immune response for a coral? What are, what are the corals? So, we do have this variation right now in, 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 a, in any given reef when there is a disease. Sometimes it, just, it affects almost always the same coral species. So, we have some species that are very susceptible to diseases just in general, and some other coral species that are quite resistant. And so we want to use that framework that's already kind of there to figure out what are those corals doing right that are resistant. So what are some of those main mechanisms that corals are using? And you know, and we also want to get more insight. We we have so much technology um, with genome sequencing, transcriptome, and proteome sequencing that you know we can really try to try to get more information and kind of deeper. Um, you know, deeper into what exactly is happening on that molecular level, on that cellular level that leads to this whole coral either surviving or dying from a disease. So we're, we're working towards those goals in my lab. <laughs> it's a big goal, but okay. we're, we're yeah, working hard. Yeah.
1: Well, very good. What's, what's the best way for people to find out more about your work?
2: Um, yeah, we have a website. Um, it's the midlarslab.com And so it's, uh, T-H-E, and Midlarz my name, M-Y-D-L-A-R-Z, lab, all one word. And uh, we always post our new papers, our new pictures, and what's going on um, there. Um, So you can find all the latest information there.
1: Okay. Well, very good. Well, Laura, thanks for coming on the podcast. It's been a good call.
2: Great. Thank you so much. If you
0: like this podcast, please click the link in the description to subscribe and review us on iTunes.